Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Swetman, and today on the show, we're starting a new series looking at the films of Darren Aronofsky. We're planning to talk about all eight of Aronofsky's feature films, starting today with Pi from 1998 and The Fountain from 2006. Joining me for this series is filmmaker and friend of the show, Michael J. Darty. Stick around. Welcome to Art House Garage. We recently did a series on the show going through some of the films of Terrence Malick with the help of my friend Bethany Worden. Go back and check those out if you haven't, but today we're starting a new filmmaker series. My friend Michael Darty heard the Malick episodes and contacted me about doing something similar for one of his very favorite filmmakers, Darren Aronofsky. And so we are. After discussing which films to do, we decided why not do all of them? Aronofsky has directed eight narrative features, and we're going to look at two at a time. These Aronofsky episodes won't necessarily be all in a row, and in fact, I have some other films planned for the next few episodes, so we're going to spread it out a bit. We also aren't going to strictly go in chronological order through the films. We'll talk in a minute about the order and the pairings we chose. In this episode, we're starting with his first film, Pi, from 1998, and his third feature, The Fountain, from 2006. Michael calls this pairing the Order and Chaos films. Both of these were first viewings for me. Pi tells the story of a mathematician who sees everything in the world in terms of numbers, and he discovers a particular number that seems to hold the key to the meaning of life, or is he possibly losing his mind? The film is shot in a stark black and white, and it's one that has really stuck with me. The Fountain is very ambitious, following three connected timelines. It stars Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Jackman plays Thomas, a scientist who is trying to find a cure for cancer in time to save his wife Isabel, played by Weiss. It's a bit of a mind-bender, and it also has a very particular visual style, which we'll talk about in detail in just a moment. We are going to talk spoilers for both films, so don't listen to this unless you want to be spoiled. I do recommend both films. They are definitely worth your time, so go watch them and then come back and listen. Michael J. Darty has been on the show a few times before. He's a filmmaker and a disability advocate. He helped start the LA chapter of the Real Abilities Film Festival, and now he works for a company called Memory Well, where he writes life stories for hospice patients. What an interesting job. That is enough introduction for now. Let's get into our series on the films of Darren Aronofsky, starting with Pi and The Fountain. Twelve forty-five. Restate my assumptions. One, mathematics is the language of nature. Two, everything around us can be represented and understood through numbers. Three, if you graph the numbers of any system, patterns emerge. Therefore, there are patterns everywhere in nature. You ever hear of Kabbalah? Jewish mysticism. Insomnia haunts him and he twists and turns in his bed. Maybe that pattern is like the pattern in the stock market. The Torah. This 216 number. This is insanity, Max. Or maybe it's genius. I have to get that number. Hold on, you have to slow down. You're losing it. You only gave us part of the code. Now give us the rest of the code so we can set it right. You are only a vessel from our God. You are carrying a delivery that was meant for us. There will be no order, only chaos. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael J. Darty. How are you today? I'm good, though. You added the J this time. I good. did, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> J for Joseph. <laughs> sounds a little more professional or something. I don't know. Well, it was the name that was on my, my Writer's Guild card. Uh, oh, nice. Because there was already a Michael Doherty with the same spelling. So I had that. Really? How interesting. Yeah. Well, the last time you were here was for um, our Irish discussion of Banshees of Inishirin, which was wonderful. And uh, 
I we I guess we talked about you reached out to me first because you had heard me talking about uh, Terrence Malick with our mutual friend Bethany Warden and said, "Hey, what if we did something like that for Aronofsky?" I was like, "That sounds great." And I said, "Let's just do uh, you know three or four like I did with Terrence Malick." And you're like, "Well, we could do all of them." <laughs> I was like, "All right, let's do it." So because you know with the award season over, I do you know need some stuff to talk about. So uh, I said, "Absolutely." Uh, and he, he like Malik has has a manageable enough right. filmography where, and the interesting thing and in what I had I pitched is that Aronofsky is one of the most like thematically pronounced filmmakers. Like mm -hmm. they're they're all clearly about something, and so many of them are completely linked, mm -hmm. whether he intended that or not. I mean, he really whether or not you believe in the author theory. I mean, this mm -hmm. is the, he sort of embodies that very very clearly yeah it's interesting he's a filmmaker who i haven't i'm not a completist yet i will be at the end of this um what i had seen before we started this was black swan when that was in the theater which i really liked and then the whale recently and that was it like i'd never seen i still have never seen requiem for a dream or um the pie or the fountain which i have now seen for today um, but yeah, so some big blind spots are going to be filled in for me as well. So that was another reason to do it. Um, and actually, so I was going to say, let's talk about Aronofsky first, but let's talk through the schedule because it's kind of interesting. I was like, what would you want to go through chronologically? But then you said, oh, I have some thematic ties, which, you know, it reminds me of like, if you get some of the criterion box sets, it's, they have like, they're kind of paired in different ways. If it's, as if it's like a film festival watching through, uh, they're not necessarily in, in chronological order. So let's talk. And through that, and it's, yeah, go ahead. it's interesting because that's probably how, because I've, I've, I've been a, a film festival programmer and director before mm. that that's probably where my brain was at. I was like, how is this gonna flow together? And I was so impressed with what you and Bethany did and how, those movies sort of bounced off of one another. I said, oh, mm -hmm. I, I, I think this is even more obvious. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's a really nice little uh, through line that you've got for each of these. Yeah, I, I really enjoy programming these little uh, podcast things. One day, I'd love to program a film festival. That's a, that can be a bucket list goal. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, let's talk about it. So you, I was like, oh, what kind of order do you think? And then you came back with a fully fledged, like, here we go. So, so let's talk through it. Um, do you want to take us through? So for the first episode with, we're going to do the, the fountain and pie uh, under what I would call order and chaos, because there is this idea that Aaron, and that is, this runs up through a lot of his movies, not just these two, that, there's this chaotic world that everyone is suffering in, but yet the characters are trying very, very hard um, to make sense of it and and to bring order to it, even if there's no order there. Um, it's it's the imposition of that that uh, the, the characters are constantly seeking, and I think that does that applies for things like Black Swan. It applies to Mother uh, for sure. Um, so, so that, that I thought would be a good jumping off point because Pi was his first movie and, and the fountain is, I think his most misunderstood. Hmm. Um, so from there, I thought, well, he's also has concerns about the degradation of the body and how physical suffering is often linked to spiritual suffering. And again, this is something that runs through almost everything that he's made. So, but I thought for, for week two, we could do the, the, the male side of suffering in which we look at the wrestler and the whale. And then in the third week, we could do suffering from the female point of view, where we look at Requiem for a dream and black swan and finally for the for the for the fourth week and it's the one that i'm most curious about to see where it goes because you and i have talked and it's almost every it's it's actually kind of our theme where i come on to talk about movies suffering and spirituality and it's it we i seem to be repeating that a lot 
And so we're going to end with Noah and Mother, which is my personal favorite of all of his movies, um, to talk about spiritual suffering and his relationship um, to to God and religion. I mean, Aronofsky claims and has has done this since the beginning, said that he's an atheist. But he, he, all of his movies are are constantly wrestling with with where does where do where do where does our relationship to God or lack thereof fit into our lives into the larger universe? I mean, every single one of his movies is about this, uh, or ends up like that in in the end. Um, and so I, I I think it'll be a good way to sort of round back to where he started in terms of of chaos and order and and how that's that's connected to some sense of of god that's so it's going to be really oh, really easy it's going to be smooth <laughs> it's going to be happy <laughs> i mean that's probably why i haven't you know taken the time for a requiem for a dream because i've heard how you know heavy it is and that sort of thing um but yeah, I'm excited to get into it. Interesting to hear that Mother is your favorite because I know that one and and probably Mother and the Fountain are uh, the it's most critically. misunderstood ones, and yeah. those are my two favorites. <laughs> well, I'm excited then. It's exactly yeah. the right. Uh, I realized as I'm doing this podcast, the best thing is to find someone who's a huge champion for that movie and have them on the show to talk about it. And so uh, that that's that's my favorite thing. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, we've kind of touched on this already as you talk through this, but as far as Darren Aronofsky as a filmmaker, what would you say sets him apart uh, among modern filmmakers or or kind of historically too? What, what do you when you think of Aronofsky? Like, what are the the big things that I think this is an Aronofsky movie? Well, okay, so I I I hit pie came out when I was in film school, and so I I discovered him right out of right at the starter gun, um, and. You know, so he was sort of in that '90s class, where it's not quite Tarantino because he was like the early '90s. But mm-hmm. this was like Alexander Payne and David Fincher and Spike Jones. You know, those kind of very idiosyncratic um, I- indie filmmakers. And here you have this kid who who grew up in Coney Island, Brooklyn, and who was Harvard educated. Um, and as a Jewish kid, um, and was making shorts, and then found a way to to get funding for for Pi, which I don't remember the exact budget, but it was it's a, it was a cheap, really micro budgeted film. And do you, do you know the story of how how he made it? I've heard bits and pieces, but go ahead and recount it. So Woody Allen was making his movie Celebrity in New York at the same time. And Aronofsky and his crew, to avoid the hassle of having to get permits for things, followed the Woody Allen production around and claimed that they were shooting second unit for him because there were and and nobody questioned it because there were there were visibly Jewish characters in Aronofsky's movie. (laughs) And so he basically made pie around uh, a Woody Allen movie. That's amazing. Yeah. I I knew there was something with Woody Allen, but I think I like, I read it briefly, but didn't fully understand it. That's incredible. Um, It's such a, I guess that's, are we ready to move into pie and talk some more about this film? So what we're going to do is talk about each of these films today, pie and the fountain, and then, We'll kind of tie things together thematically with the order and chaos talking about both films at the end and we are going to spoil both films so if you haven't seen them uh, go go back and watch them but we're going to talk about the endings um yeah pie so just to give my brief reaction to it as my first time seeing it um such an experience and such a distinct kind of vision to it it's it's interesting like i think about if I watched Pi and I watched The Whale, I wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that must be the same director, like stylistically, visually. Um, and, and and so as I, you know, as we watch through these, maybe I will have a little bit more of a familiarity with like what he's doing with the camera, different things. Uh, but I mean, I haven't seen a lot of films that look like Pi, uh, but I really enjoyed kind of the experience of that and kind of getting lost in that. And 
yeah, it was, it's, so just the visually the cinematography and the the set design of it all, it, it did remind it reminded me a little bit of like David Lynch a little bit. Um, some of the like Eraserhead came to mind a few times as I was watching it. Um, but then just thematically the where things go again, getting to the spiritual side of things um, with those Jewish characters was unexpected, uh, but I really liked it. Uh, what do you think of this film? Uh, is this one of your favorites of his? I guess you've already said Fountain and, and Mother are your uh, two of your favorites, but what do you think generally of Pi? I, I love it. I should just say, just as a, a sort of blanket thing, Darren Aronofsky <laughs> is one of my like all-time favorite filmmakers. I've loved every single thing that he's, he's done. Um, and what's so amazing about Pi is how he would grow as a filmmaker, but you could see that there was a personality and a, and a voice that was, was coming out, not fully formed, but, mm-hmm. but pretty well formed that he would carry both of his thematic and his visual sort of motifs and obsessions through all of his work. Um, but in particular, it's this, it's this idea that, for for Pi, what's so interesting is that you have someone who is ostensibly mentally ill or insane, who and that's another theme that runs through a, a large swath of his work, um, who is is trying to make sense of the world and he's using math or science in order in in order to to do that. And I was never a math person. I was always a softer kind of kind of English lit guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I but I was I was struck even even back then because it was ninety eight. So I was at a school where I had a really great sort of spiritual religious experience, but then was in film school where I was m- miserable pretty much. Um, and questioning a lot of things and and my my place and things and whether I was crazy for the way that I was feeling and things like that. And then mm-hmm. I see this movie, and I, I it's like I it's like you know you you find the thing that that is for you and it's like oh mm-hmm. I feel seen by this I feel understood even though it's so dark and disturbing. Mm-hmm. It was like I'm so glad that somebody made something like this movie because it it it's it's a this weird act of hope to be able to talk about the frustrations of being alive in the, in the modern world and, and whether life has any sort of meaning or pattern to it, or whether it, it is entirely chaos and how do we, if it is entirely chaos, how do we live in that world? I mean, the perfect example is the scene where they're playing go Mm-hmm. Uh, where Max and his his mentor teacher Saul are are playing Go, and Saul's interpretation of the game is that um, life is chaotic, and we have to be able to to live peacefully within that. Whereas Max sees, no, I can see through the chaos. I can figure this out, and I can I can bring the universe uh, down to size. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will, I will crack the code on this. Um, but of course, in the end, in so doing, he drives himself so crazy that he ends up hurting himself. Mm-hmm. And a, and a, when, and when I saw what he does to himself, I mean, it's one of the more shocking moments. Yeah. Especially because of the time that it, when it came out, I mean, nothing shocking now, but but seeing a a, a guy. Uh, self lobotomize mm-hmm. um, it is it was a pretty intense thing especially because I had brain surgery 10 times myself so it was mm-hmm. something that I could identify with um but it's that idea that you're just trying to 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 rid yourself of your pain in the most visceral way possible even though it's completely illogical it makes perfect sense to that guy and and again, it's like that's another the, the, our relationship to suffering and what we do to ourselves and what we do to other people has been a thing that the whole way through has been sort of his thing. Um, I so I, I I love it from a thematic standpoint. 
Uh, I do love a good paranoid thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially because they really do seem to be after him. So yeah. it's like, it's like just because he's paranoid doesn't mean they're not after it. Like that sort of thing. I love that. Um, the, the, the quick editing, which he would, mm-hmm. he would be become famous for, uh, and especially in something like Requiem for a Dream, um, is incredible. And I, enough cannot be said about the impact of, of, of musical composition Mm. on the effect of uh, of a movie and clint manzel's score for this is one of the most brilliant ever and he's and he's topped himself a bunch of times but the relationship that he has to what aronofsky is shooting and what he's saying it's one of the great director composer relationships i mean we're talking like on the level of like spielberg and john williams or like mm. early tim burton and danny elfman where or hitchcock and bernard herman where it's i can't separate mm. the music of of darren aronofsky's work uh or clint manzel's work in darren aronofsky's work they they they, they completely uh complement one another yeah wow yeah the score is really a lot. great yeah yeah that's great um i love the score of this it, it feels very late 90s but yeah it does it, it feels like it exactly um sets the tone it needs to and, and yeah now i'm curious the next time i watch this to to key into that even more um but yeah i i really like it a lot i i like the ending i mean i love that it's so this recurring number keeps showing up and uh he's got it in his brain and all that and then and the the Jewish people are saying this, this number is like the secret to God. Like you, you have God in your brain basically. And that, yeah, that the idea that he's trying to bring order. And then what I read as, I guess, a hopeful ending uh, as shocking as it is, it's now he's lost his ability to do math and all of that, but he is, he has peace. And like, maybe that's the only way forward in the chaotic world. Um, maybe you have a different reading of the ending and I'd love to hear it. Uh, and I, I, you kind of have already answered this too, but I was going to ask like, how does this set us up for, you know, as his first film for his stylistic and thematic trends, you mentioned the editing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, as I'm again, not a completist yet, but pondering, it seems like thematically he's very tied from film to film, maybe more than other directors. Cause I think about, I, maybe I just have more of a, visual take on filmmakers but like obviously like terrence malick for instance has the same themes he repeats comes back and back uh, repeats on and on but but i always think of him visually first as like what we're gonna uh what the experience of like watching and taking in a film of his is like um whereas i think for aronofsky at least at this point i'm kind of thematic first as far as what is holding his filmography together but again that may change as we go uh but yeah what do you think about the ending of pi uh, i agree i think it is hopeful but it's kind of it's hopeful in a really kind of sick and twisted way which yeah. is, is i mean you, you you hit the nail on the head it's it's that he he has he is now relieved of of everything but at the expense of having lost everything um and so i mean we've talked about samuel beckett and how he's my favorite writer and this whole idea that that of of being able to embrace nothingness um there is almost something ironically uplifting about the fact that this this guy who is probably going to be murdered by one or or more of these factions that were were after him finally figured out a way to 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 escape from that but at the same time i mean how how tragic that a person comes so close in, in their mind to understanding god in some way and it 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 drives them to to violence that that is it's not a, it's not a good thing it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a rather despairing and angry and terrible thing having to come to the realization that that 
maybe there is no order to things that you have to give up on on that idea that Saul the teacher is in fact correct that it is nothing but chaos and it could be beautiful if we learn to live in that but some of us are not built for it yeah it's interesting thinking about him as as an atheist uh, but seemingly very spiritual atheist if that makes any sense i think that yeah what you you just expressed feels like an argument for atheism in a way um, that, you know, trying to understand God is, is folly in some way. Um, you know, it reminds me of too, is uh, I thought about the matrix a few times. Maybe it's because of the score. It reminds me of that. And it came out around that same time. Uh, but the, the ignorance is bliss moment in the matrix where, you know, it's, he's happier just not knowing. Uh, I think it's different, but I didn't think about that as well. Um, another film, did you watch the film, uh, the believer with Ryan Gosling? I talked about it on the podcast some months back. Yes. Yes. Uh, I thought about that as well, just because we have this this kind of person who's torn between two two factions in a way and and wrestling with um, Judaism in particular. But it, I love that here it's like it's almost like religion versus capitalism or the, the factions that are after him. And uh, uh, yeah, I think I like that that aspect of the film as well. But he doesn't like he never seems completely taken by either one of them yeah. like he li mm -hmm. he lives in this hovel of an apartment uh he's connected to religion but he doesn't want to be a part of it necessarily he's obsessed with this one idea about the math mm -hmm. patterns um oh but what's so interesting about the the the, the math and this again this goes back to to ideas about atheism and and what may be quote-unquote out there is that math is is sort of an interrogation or an uh an, an investigation of the immaterial because you can't see it literally but we know for a fact that it's there we know that two plus two is four and there is no there's no there's no way around that and so there it's the idea connecting to to god that we have a certain understanding about our world and the people around us um but we have that because there must be something that's animating it or that's absolute outside of it mhm mm mm -hmm that helps us sort of reflect and define that if that makes any sense it does yeah it's reminding me i knew uh, a young woman in college actually i was graduated living in the dorm as the dorm dad with my wife working there anyway she loved math was obsessed with math and she had a poster on her wall of the pythagorean theorem and she just loved formulas and things like that and she we were like yeah, we talked to her about it because people thought that was weird <laughs> that she'd have a math formula on her wall. Um, she's like, when I think about, you know, this has been true forever, you know, hundreds of years ago, the Pythagorean theorem was true and now it's still true. And we can find order in that. She was like, that to me points me to God. And, and she was, you know, this is our Christian university. And this is like very much um, part of her spirituality. And so I thought that, always thought that was so interesting. And that's exactly the kind of things in his opening monologue in this film that he's saying, um, you know, everything around us can be explained by numbers. And, you know, these are sort of a constant. Uh, so I think that's a really smart way into a story and into the script that, um, yeah, just a really compelling kind of basis for this, uh, to explore the, this, this sort of thematic territory. But, but it's, it's also that, um, the, the solving of the, the equations or the, or the creation of the pattern underlines how sort of finite human understanding of mm. the world actually is because we know that he max boils everything down to what is it 160 how many how many digits how many in numbers that was the name of god oh uh in in the film you mean like that that number that came i think it was 200 and something or 100 and yeah close to 200 so it was like 162 or something like that um which is th those numbers uh, will 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 or will correlate to the to, to the 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 name of God, and once 
Mm-hmm. Once we understand that, it un- it'll unlock the the mystery of the universe. Two hundred and sixteen. I've looked at two hundred and sixteen. So I the, just mixed up the numbers. Uh, <laughs> see, I told you I was no good at math. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's the idea that yeah, you can boil it down to two hundred and sixteen numbers on a page, but there's something there's something infinite because of math b- being what it is by nature behind it and that mystery is is there and it's completely uh, unknowable and that may be also what would lead someone to put a power drill to their skull uh is if they found the answer and it just wasn't good enough and that's that's a really tragic thing to have to wake up with um yeah so yeah wow yeah and and like the idea of pi is the perfect kind of example of that because like we can never get to the end of it right um yeah well yeah i really really liked pi uh i'm so glad that i've seen it now and uh yeah it does feel like kind of a quintessential uh 90s viewing that I finally checked off and uh, really glad that I have. Shall we move on to The Fountain? Sure. A special tree grows hidden. The tree of life. They say whoever drinks of its sap will live forever. Just to briefly go over the timeline, um, so Pi was 1998. Uh, we're then skipping over, if we're going to go chronologically, we're skipping Requiem for a Dream from 2000. Uh, I'll just read through these really quickly. The Fountain, 2006, we're about to talk about. Then 2008 was The Wrestler, 2010, Black Swan, 2014, Noah, 2017, Mother, and then 2022, The Whale. So we are jumping from 1998 to 2006 now to talk about The Fountain. And this is a film that I, I think someone again in college, it seems like a very like, you know, the college dudes are going to go watch a movie (laughs) together. Have you seen this crazy movie, The Fountain? Um, That's kind of the first thing I ever heard about it was like people talking about it like that. Um, And finally watched it this week. And uh, yeah, I think I also knew that this is one of his kind of more mixed critical response kind of films, misunderstood, as you said. Um, I liked it though I, I i think i you know ranking is a stupid thing to do <laughs> but people do it anyway i think i connected with pi more but i did like the fountain and I, i'm definitely curious to hear what you have to say about it uh i thought we might talk about the style of it because it is uh, and you were just telling me a few things before we started recording that i'd love to bring back up about 
how they created some of the sets, set designs and things, but it has a really kind of singular uh, style in like the production design and the cinematography, even the color palette. It's very, there's a lot of yellows and oranges. It's probably one of the most orange films I've ever seen. <laughs> Just a whole lot of orange, but it's also very kind of claustrophobic. Um, the handful of sets that we're in, uh, like his, you know, his OR where he's a surgeon um, and their bedroom, like everything's fairly tight when he's in this cosmic world where he's with the tree. It's a pretty, even though it's hugely large, it's also we're in these and the camera is very tight on, on the characters for most of it, which is true of Pi as well. A lot of close-ups, I think, and kind of claustrophobic feeling. Uh, well, tell us, uh, what do you think about like the visual or the kind of the feeling, the style of the fountain? I think it's extraordinary. Um, and finding out that uh, there's no CGI hmm. in it, that indeed the, the, the space scenes with the stars and the, and the nebula swirling around were all done uh, photographically with uh, chemical, chemical reactions under a, a microscope and then use as a plate. And they did use a little bit of CGI to composite to put, say like the bubble ship, against all of that 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 is true um but it has this and i i would say the same thing about pi is that there's something uh very human about the the technique that you can you can almost feel fingerprints mm -hmm. uh on on the sets and on the, the props and 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 the world of the the movie that it's very clear that human beings made this movie it wasn't computers um which is thematically for this one uh, really really moving and I, I agree I love the 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 the, the color palette uh yellow as far as color theory is concerned uh is, is supposed to evoke anxiety and you do feel that uh in terms of tom's quest to save his wife and and to get to the answer to all things in the end but there's something and i think one of the reasons that the movie tanked was this is aronofsky showing us his heart mm. And he never really did that again until the whale to a certain extent where he he's, he's a bit of a cool filmmaker and very intellectual, but there's something very fleshy um, about the, the fountain and, and the, the, the need to uh, for us to preserve our loved ones to keep them alive as as long as possible and also i mean the, the environment is always a big thing with him and so to, to keep that that tree alive and and to and we are 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 led to survive by eating of of the the bark and the the sap um so i i've i i love love that aspect of it um and then what was your original question uh just like thoughts on the style of it which I yeah think the, and and oh there's another thing where if you notice there's there are motif with shapes that it's literally in every single shot where uh you have circles for for the future squares mm -hmm. for the present and triangles um for the past and they're constantly overlapping on one another and of course one of the big questions is 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 what's real in the story quote unquote mm -hmm. and and what's fantastical and is, is is the third part is that just a dream um and and so it's got this 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 metatextual sort of thing about it stylistically that I love where where they're they're all sort of playing off one another and echoing one another so that you don't 
I think there is a complete experience at the end. Um, but you, I, I think it, this was a, a, a kind of befuddling to to mm -hmm. a lot of people yeah. on the first bounce about what it all means and stuff like that. So, yeah, no, that's another thing I was going to bring up is just that it's it doesn't spell out that at least that futuristic uh, setting. I thought I thought at some point is he going to like you know fall asleep and have the dream because in in the present he is reading the book and that's taking him to the past that's taking us to the past uh, but there's not a clear link to that uh sort of cosmic area as well which i like that about it that it's ambiguous in that way um but yeah i was gonna say do you have any other thoughts about like how do you think that fits in do you do you think this is in his head or do you think this is uh somehow um a dream or something uh, well i i'm inclined to think that the 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 bubble ship is the the absolute reality mm. and that he's imagining the present as as a memory that may or may not be true and then within that is the fictional story about the history for it but sort of trying to trying to place himself in in a story again that that makes sense that how this guy ended up in a bubble ship flying off to the far reaches of space to go crash into a, an exploding star um it, it it that doesn't entirely make sense but if you trust what he's thinking about mm -hmm. backwards uh it 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 kind of does but it links to to pi in the sense that uh, he's he's killing himself mm -hmm. i mean it's 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 an uplifting moving ending but he's 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 crashing right into oblivion. Hmm. It's the same thing. Did you see um Claire Denis' uh, High Life? Yes. Mm -hmm. Sort of has a, that's a much darker movie, but that has a similar concern about uh, what is what is the purpose of 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 hurtling towards uh, oblivion, and can we make sense out of out of that inevitability? Um, and they both both movies both pie and uh the fountain involve a kind of you could argue resignation on on the one hand or you could argue peace that the these guys have have made their peace with the universe and and are are going into the arms of it yeah that's a good point there's like that horrific shot where he's like kind of floating into it and then like melts almost and it's like this weird moment of body horror suddenly but at the same time it is like that hopeful ending of sort of uh yeah the inevitability of it it's i mean films about death i think this is this is up there as far as um just like the, the very human fear of death and and thinking about all the different ways that, that affects us uh i think it's a, a really strong example sort of I've, I've said it before on the podcast like one day i teach a college course about like death in the movies and that this could be a good one to to throw in there because i think that it's an interesting thematic uh thing there um yeah it's, i think i was thinking remembering as you were saying the the cosmic section is those backgrounds are from the uh chemical slides just like what they look at under the microscope i remember that's in in the film and, and so there's you and you see it for a moment then it looks just like that and it looks a lot like the star that she points out at that in that moment which is the same star he's drifting towards as well um yeah and i was thinking too like the i think the color palette we talked about i think one of the few times that that is deviated from is when we're out in the snow at the funeral and then at the gravesite at, at the end uh so like it's it's like we finally reach death and then it's sapped of all its color. I think that's an interesting thing that he does there as well. I didn't notice the shapes. I, I like as you said that I was like, oh, I can picture in each of these times the those different shapes. Um, 
but when you're talking about how crafted it feels i thought too of like the there's a throne room scene where he's going to see in the historic in the past he's going to see the queen um and there's like the all these floating kind of lights it's really beautiful and but yeah it definitely feels like um a composed story um yeah and can i just just about the lights another reason why i love this guy it's like i'm not going to go the kubrick route just yet before all is said and done but there's stuff in that movie that i'm like how did anybody think that up like the way the way that the colors are are arranged the way that the lighting is and and how it's like in the office how you'll have like lamps that are lighting different areas but then mm-hmm. it's like one source light in the middle and then all these um it's almost like he's graphically showing you the universe but in a different mm-hmm a different visual motif of it and I, I was just i was amazed at 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 the level of sort of visual imagination and 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 discipline to carrying that theme over and over and over and over again yeah it's interesting i'm thinking more and more about the, the tactile nature of like the production design even like the manuscript that he has it it just feels very like um designed in a way that is uh yeah, you can almost feel it as you watch it. And I think that's true of a lot of uh, just the film generally. Um, any other thoughts about the ending of this film? Uh, I, 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 meeting Rachel Vice in 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 my own life was a little mm. slice of heaven. So wow, it was the and it's the best hug that I've ever received from a celebrity, um, hands down, it's not even close, um, and so i mean she's just she's perfect she's she's absolutely perfect so you understand mm-hmm. just by her very casting why this man would go to the 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 ends of the earth um to to try and save her but it, it and this ties into pi is that what's what's amazing about the order and chaos thing as far as math and science is concerned is that perhaps the tragedy of both of the movies is not so much that they they have an, a, an encounter with oblivion in in the end but that they were so preoccupied with the the question of existence or life that they forget to live it mm-hmm. and that certainly underlines when with Rachel Vice trying to get him to go outside for the walk and, mm-hmm. and barking at her, but he's doing, he's doing it for a, a noble reason because he really does love her and he wants, he wants to save her. Um, but he's so wrapped up in what is logical that, that he can't see that it's the illogical thing that makes it's the confusion of of love and life that makes life worth living. Mm-hmm. And it, it thinks about like the the phrase "missing the forest for the trees," you know. And here we have a tree at the center of this story. I think that's a good maybe summation of that. You know, a moment I love as well is is the at the funeral at the sort of the graveside service. Um, it's Ellen Barkin, I think, is the actor, and she's just giving this beautiful kind of eulogy and saying that. Uh, we all kind of have this sense of like wanting to have, I can't remember exactly how she says it it's better in the film, but having done enough things or having lived a beautiful enough life before you die and none of us get there, but actually Rachel Weiss's character did. And it's a, a beautiful thing to say at a funeral, but also just like a, a really, I think, poignant insight to, uh, and that, that it rings true, you know, that, you know, I want to have these certain things that I've done in my life and probably won't you know, the sadness of that, but also the beauty of like accepting that, um, which, you know, maybe that kind of ties into like with both Pi and the fountain, like hurtling towards oblivion. But if we can accept that, then maybe there's a way forward besides obsession. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it, and I go back to Samuel Beckett. It's like this idea that yes, there's, there's an encroaching silence, but there's value in screaming against it mm-hmm. while, while you still can because it gives it gives others 
the opportunity to to hear that and it and it's and it's too late for for these characters um but but there's there's a lesson there about if not hope which i struggle with every day if not flat out disavow but having having the courage to face the chaos and accept that there's something ineffable, ineffable and and immaterial out but it but but it's there something is there i mean we we we're, we're given we're given limits but in order to 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 have those limits something had to create the limit to begin with couldn't just have come out of nowhere yeah yeah i don't know if i can put into words my reaction to that other than i i think that's a really well put and yeah thinking about like the the mysterious number in pi it's it's like is there is there something more there is but it's so mysterious that we can't grasp it yeah yeah wow that's really interesting well we've kind of already maybe done what we're gonna do at the end as as far as like tying these together with the order and chaos idea is there anything else you want to add as far as um the way these two films kind of go together thematically well i i I just want to say one more thing about um the fountain which is that this was between requiem and this was the longest that darren aronofsky went between movies the second being between mother and and the whale and this is a guy who has kept to his vision of things the entire time and he's he's never really compromised his vision of things but it this movie the fountain was originally supposed to star brad pitt and kate blanchett in those mm-hmm. roles which i don't think the movie actually would have been nearly they're, yeah. they're they're good and especially Kate Blanchett, but I don't think that the, the same amount of warmth would have would have crept in um, without um, Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. But when the, the other two dropped out, the budget shrunk, and they could he couldn't do a lot of the things that he wanted to do. So what ended up happening is he published The Fountain as a graphic novel. which you can get as a supplement if you want to see what the original sort of vision which among other things the tom character is completely naked in the bubble (laughs) the entire time (laughs) so that amount of hugh hugh jackman's jackman would have gotten the movie uh an x rating so um so I, I don't know where we, we, we might be better off for, for how he had to compromise in, in that way. Um, but I love how doggedly this, this filmmaker works to get exactly what he wants. And he, he doesn't seem to care whether you, whether you like him or, or not. And, and it's like you take the movies as they are. And, and so that's been sort of um, a, a benchmark um, for me in terms of, uh, inspiration mm-hmm. um and so it's it's in tying the two together it's i i love movies that ask very big questions that can't possibly be answered and in terms of order and chaos i mean that's the whole purpose of filmmaking is is that we get to play some version of god in which we take the chaos of life and edit it down to a kind of order that is manageable and understandable yeah and oh and there's one other thing i wanted to say about both of both of the movies is that what's what's and this is about life in general i think that isn't it amazing how intelligible the world is (laughs) now granted there may not be anything with the the numbers in the name of god and all that and there may not be a way to get to the end of the universe and then get your wife back but the fact that we have any understanding of anything in terms of existence and that is manifest every single day in different forms 
How remarkable is that? Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I had something I was going to say about it. <laughs> it's gone from my brain, but yeah, that's a good point. I think about, I mean, there's a real kind of respect for, I mean, math and science in both of these films that I think is, uh, just like a really interesting way to, to come at a story, but yeah. But we, we, it's like, we use what we know, what is intelligible in order to propel us into that unknown. And hopefully we keep laying down the, the more groundwork to make things even more intelligible, but it's, it's that pushing forward that matters. Yeah, when you're I talking about love this yeah. filmmaker, I love him. I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny. I was playing. Oh, every movie we go through, I'll say, "Oh, what do you think about this film? Like, do you do you like this one?" Obviously, I can ignore that question. <laughs> them all a whole lot. Um, I was thinking about another recent film that kind of deals with that, like filmmaking as bringing order, uh, and that's the Fablemans, the Spielberg film, which um, I liked a lot. And then I watched it the second time and liked it even more. And yeah, exactly that is, is dealt with in the film. And, uh, you know, he has to control it, his mother says when when he's little. Uh, and I think that's, yeah, I can have the same exact idea that uh, these two films are is like having, yeah, just needing some sense of control. And um, yeah, it's interesting thinking about like people who, I don't, I don't know. This is like a weird tangent to get on. We don't need to get into it, but like there are certain people who obsess over these things like Max and in the, and Pi and Hugh Jackman and the fountain. But then what about the people who have, who have found that piece like the Rachel Weisz character? Um, what is it? Because I feel like I know those people in my life too, who um, seem like they have some sort of peace and aren't too worried about death. And some of them are people of faith and some of them aren't. And so it's, um, yeah, I don't know, interesting things to to think about as we continue through this uh, filmmaker's body of work. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so next time we are doing male suffering. So we're going to talk about The Whale, which I'm going to rewatch, which that's another thing. I really like Black Swan, which is the first Aronofsky film I ever saw. I did not connect as much with The Whale. And I think maybe on a second viewing, I will more. Um, and having some of these thematic ideas in my brain from his other films too, uh, maybe I will more the second I'll, I'll i'll just say this as a, as a sort of trailer for that um the i i i like aspects of the whale because i think it clearly connects to things that he's done if if this had been his first movie or if it was just a different filmmaker i think i would have a different a, a opinion on it so i'll just say that it's the it's the one of his that that i struggle with Interesting. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to watch it again. Um, and then The Wrestler, which is probably the film of his I know the least about, actually. So that'll be interesting to to dive into. So that'll be for next time. Um, yeah, I guess I guess we can kind of wrap up episode one of Aronofsky. And uh, thank you so much for inspiring this series and uh, for walking through them with us. I'm excited to continue on. We'll, we'll, we'll continue on our way towards oblivion, you and I. Yes. We'll report uh, back. All right. That's, that's a good place to end as any. Thanks so much, Michael. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks, man. Big thanks to Michael, who always brings so many great ideas when he comes on the show. I love hearing someone speak passionately about films they love. So I think this series is going to be really rewarding with Michael on board. Stay tuned. Next time on the show, we're talking about the film Suzume, which is the next anime film from director Makado Shinkai, who previously directed Your Name and Weathering With You. Filmmaker and my childhood best friend, Dyer Bince, is returning to the show for that one. After that, I'm planning a discussion of the new Ari Aster film, Bo is Afraid. Aster previously directed Midsummer and Hereditary, so I'm very excited for that one and with that thank you so much for listening to art house garage we have a few years worth of episodes now you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice our theme music is by composer paul hunefeld learn more at appallingproductions.com if you want to support art house garage become a patron over at patreon.com slash art house garage or find a link in the show notes you can also buy an art house garage t-shirt at arthousegaragecom shop 
If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.